Okay, uh, give it like a, a beat of silence, and then uh, we'll get started. Maybe. Uh-huh. <laughs> hey, everybody. It's another episode of Metric, the user experience podcast. I'm Michael. I'm Amanda. And this month, we are finally able to announce that our second ever LibUX community webinar um, has been scheduled with Amanda. (laughs) (laughs) We've got it set for March 28th at 1 p.m. Eastern, Um, title and blurb pending, but our first webinar was such a success that we think we're going to make it a monthly thing. So... um, Stay tuned to uh, Metric Podcast on Twitter or our individual accounts, and we will um, we will totally hook you up. It is free for the community. There are 100 seats limited, and we pushed it up to 97 last time. So um, once you see that uh, RSVP link go out, um, be sure to take advantage of it. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be talking a little bit about Asana during this webinar, which is the project management tool that... I started using a few months ago when I became the publicity manager, and I realized, oh, God, there's a lot of things i got to track. I don't really manage my projects well. I need help. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, me too. All right, so back in February, you wrote about um, something you had just discovered. Yeah, so I am working on a Code for Lib article with uh, Cynthia Ng, who is one of our first podcast guests ever. Uh, Two or three years years ago, she joined us to talk about accessibility, and she's sort of a go-to accessibility person. So we're writing um, an article together. And yeah, uh, just as I was digging up (laughs) topics, or I I was digging for some sort of research, I, I can't really remember how I went down this rabbit hole. I learned about the accessibility tree, (laughs) which sounds like it would make a really interesting, if not incredibly boring, children's book. (laughs) But um, there's this thing. It's called the accessibility tree. And if you didn't think your grip on web accessibility could get any looser, uh, I introduced to you this brand new, new to me, aspect of web accessibility that just continues to complicate things. Yeah, like, I thought I had an idea what it meant, especially with, like, is it pronounced ARIA? A-R-I-A? Yeah, ARIA, ARIA. I don't think I've heard many people actually use it in person, you know? Yeah, so I kind of was like, oh, okay, I think I get a vague idea of what the accessibility tree is. But then when I started, like, reading after reading your little short article about it, I got even more confused. If you if you think about what you see in the browser, there are a few things going on. The main thing is that underlying the what you see, underlying the look and feel, is a... I'm trying to, I'm trying to phrase this for people who aren't, developers, right? Because that, that's a kind of a huge contingent of our listenership. So, but in if I'm, I no longer make sense, but um, underneath the look and feel of a website, there is kind of an, um, <laughs> an 
XML tree structure <laughs> that uh, the 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 browser itself itself whether Chrome or Firefox or whatever interfaces with it's uh, it's the it, these are the um, the the nodes that various HTML APIs connect to and it's called the document object model or the DOM um, when you are uh, those of you who've ever dabbled with jQuery where you might say hey get this button turn it blue that's a kind of JavaScript that some people call DOM scripting you're you you are changing something specifically in the DOM in the, in this tree um, in in this case you are taking what the browser or what the server rendered which was say a, a red button and you are changing it on the client side so you're changing the dom um what the user sees is you know the look and the feel the visual like everything but underneath that there is kind of like a skeletal structure and, and that's kind of what we're talking about are you with me so far <laughs> yes so stuff like headers or if this is like a video embedded in here you, those are different dom things which can be manipulated dom elements right everything is in there and in fact if you it's not viewing source but uh in most modern browsers if you right click or um, control click you'll see an option to inspect element and that will bring up the dom uh, you'll see oh here's the body and inside the body is an h1 and uh yeah, yeah. Some i mostly and stuff like that yeah i mostly use that, that for uh, css purposes yeah exactly so css um attaches it looks for these like DOM selectors. Um, that said, there's also a, a CSS tree, <laughs> but maybe that's a different topic. Yeah. Um, so, okay. So here we are. I have this understanding of the DOM. I have a enough of an understanding of like web accessibility that I at least feel confident enough to tackle it in an article. So the way I assumed things were working was that let's say that you have a screen reader and this is your main way for interfacing with web content. Basically, what I understood was that a screen reader would kind of traverse the DOM and be like, oh, here's the body and here's a heading, da 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 And it would find things in it and read it out to you. So um, that's why in accessibility, uh, kind of like best practices, your, your document structure, your content structure, your source order matters, right? So uh, basically if you have a traditional website where you have main content and a sidebar, the source order of that sidebar means that in the code it falls underneath all of the main content. So, And that's because in the DOM there's no left or right. It's just top to bottom. So a screen reader would... Blah, 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 blah. It, it hit all the bones from the skull to the feet and um, and get everything in that order. Okay, so this is my understanding. I'm like, oh, great. Yeah, Apparently it's wrong. <laughs> so, yeah, because some of this sounds like with what HTML, HTML5 came in with where you start having to have like article versus a side sort of things. Is that related? Yeah, sort of. Uh, what HTML5 um, elements allowed for was that the DOM would have some meaning. So if you, I, mean, I guess you can imagine that if you don't need a screen reader, if you were just looking at the code um, with your eyes, <laughs> you 
you know, a few years ago, everything's sort of meaningless, right? It's a div and a div and a div and maybe a table and a div and a div and a div. And so at a glance, unless you were actually reading the content of that, whatever's between the paragraph tags, there's nothing about the code itself that suggests the purpose of that code unless you're the one who wrote it. Um, so what HTML5 introduced were these uh, semantic elements like header, article, aside, section, for kind of the explicit purpose that, yeah, if you are looking at just the code, it tells you something about what that chunk of code does. This is the header. Great. Uh, I kind of understand that. This is an article. Awesome. I got that. The same thing would be true for a screen reader or for any kind of machine parsing, right? So um, Google crawlers, not to underestimate the power of our future overlords, they, um, yeah, I mean, if, if there weren't these semantic elements, it's hard for even a, a little bot to glean any kind of context from the website because all it's looking is it's all it's looking at is the DOM. It's not looking at it doesn't see or perceive the layout of the web web page the way we do. So yeah, so HTML5 semantic elements kind of helped this. These are laden with uh, ARIA roles or semantic meaning so that yeah, so the screen reader would be like this is the main content of the article. That suddenly makes a screen reader's job so much easier than it had been like years prior. But, so this is what I'm thinking. I'm like, yeah, so like the, so a screen reader or other assistive technology would uh, look through the DOM. Da, 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 da. Great. But apparently that's not as simple as that. And that's where I kind of bumped into this idea that, this idea, this, this reality that there is an accessibility tree. <laughs> um, and the and TLDR, the best way that I can summarize this is that there is a DOM, a document object model, and there is almost an exact clone of it called the accessibility tree. Kind of the same thing. Uh, an accessibility tree being like, uh, again, just a node structure, top to bottom, of the DOM, sort of, but they're slightly different, and the screen reader, let's talk best case scenario right now, the screen reader actually interfaces with the accessibility tree instead of the DOM, which is which right there introduces a little bit of complexity that if you change something in the DOM that doesn't get changed in the accessibility tree, it's not going to be communicated to the screen reader. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, so far in your research, has it told you, like, how you're supposed to do this? Like, when you're coding? Yeah. Um, sort of. <laughs> so, like I said, this is the, all with a caveat that I just learned about this uh, less than a month ago. Um, and I've been going down a little bit of a deep dive, but it's a new concept to me that is not a new concept to a lot of other smarter people out there. So this is my take. But um, yeah, that's what um, that's what like using uh, ARIA roles and other kind of like a assistive code um, do. The 
So like, I so don't if you're already using yeah. Aria, you don't really have to get too concerned that you're accidentally damaging the um, accessibility tree because you're already working on that when you do your um, Aria stuff. No, actually, so if you're um, if you're using Aria, you are. Let let me see if I can phrase this in a simple way. When the browser renders, if you didn't do anything, you, you used some... Okay, okay, here we go. You didn't even use any HTML5 elements. Everything's a div or an H1 or a paragraph tag, but you're not using section or article or main yeah. or anything like that. When the browser renders that DOM, the accessibility tree is like a carbon copy of it. Bam, bam. It's just kind of a, like, you know, it's a, sort of a... It's a clone. Now you introduce some HTML5 elements that have this semantic meaning, header, et cetera, um, header footer. The, what you're doing, so when the, when the browser renders these things, um, now, before the accessibility tree is created, there's a couple of little guiding structures. Like, if you're thinking of, like, a literal, literal tree, there might be that, um, that pole in the ground that the tree is tied to to help guide it up. So there's a little bit of a guide for that accessibility tree. So it suddenly is aware of header and footer, and then the rest is a clone. Mm -hmm. The more ARIA roles that you use, the more of a blueprint or skeleton for the accessibility tree there is. So if you are using like um, you're using buttons and um, I don't know div role equals content info and you're doing all these things suddenly before the accessibility tree builds there is a um, it has a little bit more of a guideline to it so. Um, so yeah, so when you're deliberately using ARIA roles, you're building this, this accessibility tree. And there are actually inspector elements that let you see it. But the idea is that, um, yeah, so like you are actually instructing the browser to create the interface that insistive technology makes for you. And that's cool. That gives you a lot of power. The caveat is that now... As sites get increasingly more dynamic, or like, even just little things, you have a pop-up or you have an inline form, form submission. So let's say somebody fills out a form and they hit submit. Rather than refreshing the page to a thank you page or something, it just, you know, the button grows a little bit, has a little bit of a spinner, and then it turns green with a check mark and it says saved. Great. You're done. That kind of... Um, that kind of what's happening there in the DOM may not be translated to the accessibility tree. <laughs> so, yeah. or, or vice versa. Um, like you can actually like impact the accessibility tree without making any changes in the DOM. And so what it does is just increase the complexity of all this kind of uh, development and design so yeah. if I can kind of take it 
with our new website, which is built using Laravel, um, right. all my page content is actually Markdown. So, you know, it's nothing more complicated than being like, this is a header and this is a link. Do you have any thoughts or know anything about how the accessibility tree and Markdown works together? Yes. So the so Markdown is a pre-server uh, language. So the the benefit of Markdown is that you know it's basically it could be basically a text document where you have say like a hashtag or an underline of some text means that that's a heading like that's h1 or two hashtags that that's h2 and if you imagine just opening up a bunch of text in in your stock notepad that doesn't have any kind of code in it or whatever um, markdown kind of helps lay that out and what happens in Laravel is that when Laravel builds, um, the, I think it's called like the artisan build process or whatever, but um, when it renders to the browser, it's actually rendering in HTML. So it li- like if you, ac- if you inspect the DOM, you know, that hashtag, my heading would be an H1 properly marked up. The caveat is depending on how that, uh, depending on, you know, the template that it's building, it may be lacking those other semantic elements. So you could have an article where, you know, H1, my article, and then inside the content, the main content of the article article is in a section. And that might be relevant to you for whatever reason. So HTML markdown render, oh, HTML rendered by markdown, markdown rendered, markdown that becomes HTML might actually lack any of that um, more specific uh semantic meaning yeah but it shouldn't yeah but it would basically be it just it creates a dom and it shouldn't affect the accessibility of anything yeah because i remember on our old drupal site i went into the templates and i changed um all the images to have proper um figure and caption but (laughs) without going and digging into my library's website at this second i'm not sure if that got translated (laughs) over well, so that's that's a good thing. I mean, or that's a good thing to point out. Yeah, because images in Markdown are I kind of forget how they're done because I don't do them often. But it's something like bracket, uh, you know. Um, but there is a Markdown way to give them alt text. But yeah, if there's no, if you don't do that, it's not going to render any alternative text. Yeah. Oh, cool. So I think what we're getting at here in this little episode is. If anybody's an expert on the accessibility tree, you should come talk with us. <laughs> yeah, this is um, this is kind of fascinating. Other like some other uh, some other stuff I kind of ran across while I was going down this rabbit hole was that. So there's this accessibility tree, and okay, great. So what basically what that means is that um, anytime something changes dynamically on the page, you the implication is that you would have to use use aria roles or or something to actually signal that change to the accessibility tree. So what you're actually do, uh, it's just it's just a way to kind of visualize how you're interacting with that assistive technology. So rather than um you're not actually sending signals to the screen reader itself, you're sending signals to an accessibility tree that the screen reader parses. Um so it's kind of like a helpful way to visualize what's happening now. 
what I learned was that not all assistive technology even uses the assistive technology or uh, even uses the accessibility tree. Some do. Some use both that and the DOM. Some use just the DOM. Uh, so the as 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 increasingly complicated the picture of web accessibility gets, it's not the assistive the assistive technology doesn't use it in a standard way either. So, um, yeah. So I have a slight tangent. Please. Which, if I'm not mistaking, I read that the University of Stanford or Berkeley is getting ready to take down all of their um, MOOC content because they got sued for it not being accessible. Ooh. Yeah, so that's like 20,000 items they're going to be taking offline, and they're going to put it behind um, their student paywall because I believe the Department of Justice had told them that, hey, you have to make this accessible if you're going to offer it at all. So I've been wondering, is this going to be like the death knoll of MOOCs? Because, I mean... You know what it sounds like? It sounds like it's a big... um Warning to all those different course platforms. It's not just the MOOCs. I meant like Blackboard is pretty inaccessible. And I don't know about some of the others like Canvas or other sure. course management systems, but I think we can all just, we just feel just as complicated as they are for sighted users to use. Um, they're, you know, this is a big warning sign, and, you know, educational institutions are major culprits here. So good for Berkeley, but bad for everybody else. And, you know, like um, like those those platforms have to be updated or else. Yep. yep. So in other words, the accessibility thing is not something you can um, do the bare minimum on since um, I I imagine most libraries would not be sued, but maybe big universities might get no in trouble. No way. Like, uh, like li- li- I mean, yeah, I mean, I think maybe practically it's probably not worth the an individual library getting sued, but they are susceptible. And um, and since I mean, if you can think of you know, like a, an academic library, it's it really represents the bulk of the content that students interface with. Like, a a university website has a ton of pages, right? But most of that content is probably, I'm just guessing, if it's not on Blackboard, it's, uh, like, the actual courses, uh, the static content is probably, like, library content. So, um, now, there there are certain stipulations where, yeah, I mean, um, there are are either loopholes or you don't have... You're not 100% legally obligated to do X, Y, Z, but it's increasingly going to become an issue the more awareness there is. And yep. it's, it's only increasingly common. I mean, I think this is going to be the trend, the accessibility trend to watch. I mean, um, not that, oh, look how many people are jumping on the bandwagon and, and building for assistive technology, et cetera, and what, universal design. It's, oh, look how many people have to suddenly retrofit <laughs> their entire application stack because they are at risk of getting sued. Yep. Watch for this in the news. <laughs> yes. All right, so I look forward to reading yours and Cynthia's uh, joint article on this. 
Yeah, hopefully it doesn't mislead absolutely everybody. <laughs> like, that's the one thing. It's like, oh, as I was writing this, I just learned about how much I didn't know, like the accessibility tree. So um, it's an increasingly complicated landscape. I think ARIA support is at best like 70% in old Internet Explorer with JAWS. And every other combination of screen reader and browser is less than that. So, um, yeah, I... It's it's a humbling it's it's a humbling thing to get into. Um, not just to mention that, like you know, what you learn from the accessibility tree is no matter what you do, it's not going to be universally effective. You know, it's not you can make something look more or less the same in every browser, but you can't make assistive technology do anything remotely similar. Um, oh, segue. Did so you know? Um... God, I can't remember what it's called, but um, when you were doing like CSS where you'd have all these prefixes in for different browsers, yeah. is there something like this for accessibility? Um, so, not, so um, CSS does have an impact on this tree. Uh, the This is kind of where it's a little outside of my expertise, but making anything like display hidden or display block or or sorry display none display block visual hidden etc um will remove or add something to the accessibility tree right um so there's not really any way to target a screen reader because the screen reader is usually like software over the browser so you can kind of target a browser, but that's increasingly difficult as well because, you know, um, but the screen reader isn't part of the browser. It's something that is on top of it in a way. So, no, it's really hard to it – is, it's really hard to target a specific screen reader. Like, you can't say, like, oh, I know that JAWS renders this in one way, but it's not so useful in Mac VoiceOver. So for voiceover, I want to do this. To my understanding, there's no way that you can do special rules for different screen readers. Um, like in the old days, you could do that for Internet Explorer. Like, oh, if you're IE8, do this. If you're IE9, do that. But um, no, I think it would be useful. It would give us a lot more control. But I think that would just, I don't know fragment things more the goal of course is to get everyone on board with uh, web the web accessibility guidelines yeah. from the w3c and otherwise you know if i'm at i don't know it's hard to it's hard to hold screen reader companies accountable because i don't think they have crazy huge staff and what they're doing is really hard and browsers update constantly and you know it's uh so I, I, I think I think the they earn sympathy and understanding. It is a difficult thing that we're all trying to do and and the the folks who are behind the tooling have a huge hill to climb. Yep. All right. Well it was good talking with you again, Michael, and I look forward to the article. All right, Amanda. Um thanks a thanks a bunch. Uh, thank you everybody who tuned in for this episode. Uh, we'll see you next Monday with some other topic. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs>